I appreciate the uh, the depth and the detail of her doctrinal statement. It has really been challenging me. Um, and it's not that I don't have beliefs. It is that it is very easy to go through life and simply regurgitate what you've been told. That's kind of a, a lazy way to go uh, through Christianity, but I will be very honest that... Uh, there are times where it's just easier, like, well, this is what I was taught, this is what I grew up with, and this is what I believe. But it's not until you really get challenged. When you have somebody staring you in the face, saying, well, I don't agree with that, prove it. And you've got to open up the Bible and say, well, I believe that because it says so right here. That's when you really grow. And there are many topics that we have in this world that take a lot of study. And you've really got to get down to some ugly, difficult truths. And what we have in front of us tonight, uh, dealing with divorce and remarriage, are one of those, or is one of those ugly, difficult topics, in all honesty. You want to split a church pretty quick, bring up carpet color, and bring up music, or bring up divorce and remarriage. And man, it's on. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty common, because there are a lot of different opinions on this. So... Uh, I do recognize that many of our church families have been affected in one way, shape, or another by divorce. And so I don't want to go into this tonight, uh, both guns blazing, and just be accusative in what God's Word says. God is very clear on the topic, but at the same time, we need God's maturity to be able to analyze this topic in, in a way that honestly cuts out emotion. And that's hard to do because God's word is clear, but our hearts want to go in specific directions. We also need God's word to direct our thinking and determine our views because it's very easy to go with what is socially acceptable or what, again, we want to have ourselves uh, be true. But God's word is always true. We also need the backbone to stand on what God says because times change, but God does not. So we need to stand where God tells us to stand. Uh, we also need God's love so that we avoid any type of attitude of being judgmental. Uh, that, that could very easily happen as well. So we need to be very careful tonight. As we get into our opening statement, it says, there are few topics that will polarize a church as quickly as the different views of divorce. Divorce may be a common occurrence, but that doesn't mean that God's view has changed. A wise church will thoroughly study scripture and side with God, regardless of personal feelings. A loving church will carefully minister to those who have or who are facing difficult relationship situations. So we're going to jump right into this tonight after we all together once again quote our theme verse, Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So may the Lord help us do that tonight. All right, Article 2, Section 2.01, Subsection R, Divorce and Remarriage, says, We believe that God disapproves of and forbids divorce and intends remarriage to last until one of the spouses dies. Divorce and remarriage is regarded as adultery, except on the grounds of fornication. Although divorced and remarried persons or divorced, uh, divorced persons may hold positions of service in the church and be greatly used of God for Christian service, they may not be considered for the offices of pastor or deacon. 
And we've got our verses in Malachi, Matthew, Romans, 1 Timothy, and Titus. There are many more that we could use, but we are going to go through these main chapters so that we can get specifically God's view of divorce. So that's actually your first blank. I want to emphasize that this is not coming from me. This is not coming from First Baptist Church. This is not a Baptist thing. I don't care about any of those previous categories. What I'm concerned about is what God says. All right, And that's where we need to handle the issues of life. Let's turn together to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to look at three verses there. We're going to begin in Malachi chapter 2. It's a little easier if you just go to the book of Matthew and back up a couple pages. Malachi is one of those small, minor prophets. And we're going to begin tonight by the one of the most important study words you could ever have. If you're going through a difficult topic in Scripture, you need to look at the context of verses. That's your next blank, context. So in these verses in Malachi, if you read the entire book, which I did um, this morning actually, just in review, uh, just to double check and triple check all the context, that the entire book has to do with a question and answer basis where the children of Israel are in a good place economically, but a terrible place spiritually. And God is throwing out questions through the prophet Malachi, and it's like God is answering those questions. And it's a surprise in a lot of ways. Chapter 1, verse 2, God says, I've loved you, said the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? And so the prophet gives all the proofs that God has loved you people and taken care of you. Uh, verse 6, he says, Wherein have we despised thy name? And God answers back, Well, there's a bunch of ways that you've been despising my name. And God goes through that. And then as we get down into chapter 2, uh, the prophet, under God's inspiration, now begins to weave a, an illustration of marriage. And the context is... God is exposing Israel's unfaithfulness. Specifically, the tribe of Judah had disrespected God and given themselves over to idols. So, northern Israel had already done this, and they had gotten judged. Well, now southern Judah was making the same foolish mistake. They didn't learn from their own people's mistakes. And God says, you guys are being extremely unfaithful to me. And as an illustration and as a, an example, it's like you guys are being unfaithful to your own spouses. So as we get down to verse 14, it says, Yet ye say, wherefore? So Israel is asking, well, how are we being unfaithful? Verse 14 continues with the answer, Because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is, is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. So we see some from, for, excuse me, we see from verse 14, God views the breaking of a marriage covenant as treachery. That's not a word we commonly use, treachery, except you see, you know, Benedict Arnold, treacherous. You know, but the definition of the word is a betrayal of trust, something deceptive, 
some type of deceptive action or nature. God says that's what's happening when you break away from your spouse. Verse 15 says, And did he, God, not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and whereof, and excuse me, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So verse 15, which as I understand in Hebrew is extremely difficult to translate. There's some weird phrases and, and turns that are, make it very hard to iron things out in verse 15. But we see that God views the breaking of a marriage covenant as the breaking of a single person. This is what God tells us that he has done in putting two people together in marriage. So your next blank, divorce affects deeply down to the spirit. And anybody that's been through it will tell you it is a breaking in the heart. It's a very, very difficult thing to go through on multiple levels. Now we see in verse 16, which says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away Putting away is the old term for divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. So God is very clearly giving his view on divorce. Your next blank, God hates the putting away of one's spouse. It is viewed as hiding an action of violence behind your clothing to cover up and to, to be deceitful, to try to hide what's actually happening. So we see very, very clearly God's opinion. Now, reading up on that verse, again, trying to be very careful of context and interpretation, it is really disappointing to see what people do trying to spin Bible verses. And so some people will nitpick verse 16 and say, well, who's the he talking about? And, and really this phrase could be translated this way. And all of a sudden you get this verse full of gobbledygook. Like, okay, if, if you're going to start messing with language and all of a sudden everything is unclear, I really don't trust your analysis because God is always clear, especially with things of vital importance like this. So if we really wanted to look deeper, uh, into God's opinion, uh, we could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. I'll flip over there very quickly and read those verses for us. There's actually going to be quite a few things going on in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, so we'll be jumping back and forth a little bit. But just so we get all of those verses, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12 says, But to the rest... Paul says to the Corinthian church, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Don't let him divorce. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Skip down to verse 20. Let every man abide or stay 
in the same calling wherein he was called. So even if you come to the place where you receive Christ as your Savior, and yet your spouse is not a believer, you still try to make it work. So God is very much for the keeping of that union, even under difficult circumstances. And those of you who've been married for any amount of time, you know that in marriage, there are difficult times. But God wants us to stay the course. He is not a fan. I suppose that's uh, putting it a little lightly. Not approving of divorce. But we all know that, well, and there's your next blank, a believer should remain married even to an unbelieving spouse. But man's will and man's emotions complicate this topic. I'm always curious to see what society says about things, and sometimes you you have to look into the uglier sides of Christianity because there are a lot of folks with a lot of different opinions. I came across a website very quickly and uh, said, wow, they actually have a chart about the different Christian views of divorce. So I said, this ought to be interesting. So I started getting nitty-gritty and actually looking up the Bible verses they, they, they put next to their beliefs. So they got the biblical view, four reasons for divorce there, the New Testament view, there's a couple of reasons there, the uh, there's no reason for divorce view, and the verses that people use to back those up. Well, looking through these verses, I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but under the multitude of, quote, Christian reasons to divorce, like Adultery and sexual immorality was one. Uh, second one was physical neglect and abuse. Third one is emotional neglect and abuse. The fourth one was abandonment by an unbeliever. Uh, of all the verses that they used, only a couple of them were within proper context. The rest of the verses were either way out of context or spun or actually didn't have anything to do with what it was supposed to prove. But folks, people have questions. And if you're too embarrassed to go find a church that hopefully has the good answers, people just Google things. And the first thing you're going to find is, oh, a chart from a Christian website, and they've got verses to back it up. But folks typically don't go deep enough to actually look up those verses because this chart is mostly garbage. It's really sad, but... That's where Satan loves to distract us or get us so deep looking through garbage that we miss the truth. That's why I believe there's a million and one religions in the world and a million and one different ways to, quote, get to heaven is you're so busy with all these different possibilities that you miss the truth. So if we just go straight to the Bible, look up what it says, it's actually quite clear. So let's turn your page uh, onto page 80 and continue. So we know what God's view is. You might be asking yourself, well, then why is it a thing? If, <laughs> if this is not something God likes, then, then why is it in existence? Oh, you're still in the front? Okay, I apologize. My, my uh, teaching page is slightly different than yours. I try to keep them the same. So let's look at the origin of the divorce, and to do that, turn to Matthew chapter 19. 
Uh, there are multiple other places you could go. Uh, you can go to Mark 10, you can go to Luke 16. This is when our Savior addresses it very clearly. Uh, Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. And, and this is just a, another point to prove that mankind is mankind. It doesn't matter what continent you're on or what time period it is in history. People are people. And so we see in verse 3 that divorce was a divisive topic even in Jesus' day. I'm sure before then it's a, it's a divisive topic in our day today. So whether it be Pharisees or Satan, this is one area that, that people just divide over. Well, God's word's clear but people want to divide on it anyways. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 3 says, And the Pharisees also came unto him, unto Jesus, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So the Pharisees knew this was a hot-button topic, so no matter where Jesus falls in his answer, it's going to make somebody mad. That was their goal. Try to discredit the Savior in any way possible. Well, Jesus directly answered the question. And here's your next blank. If you really want an answer, go to Scripture. Folks, that's what we all have to do. That is the the great discerner of truth. Um, I could ask you your opinion all day, and frankly, I'm going to get a ton of different opinions or different feelings or different views or experiences from everybody in the room. But if you want truth, you've got to go to Scripture. So let's look at God's clear design. Jesus lays it out there very, very well. He answered and said unto them, Have you not read? That is quite the statement to make to a Pharisee, by the way. That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus was extremely clear. He pointed out that Genesis 2.24 says that man and woman cleave together in marriage. Again, that's the, the view of taking two pieces and gluing them together. And if you've done any type of woodworking, if you're going to glue two boards together and then attempt to break those boards, if you did your job right, those boards aren't going to break on that glue line. They're going to break the wood. You're going to damage the two that have become one. And that's what divorce does. It breaks people. That's why Malachi said, be careful of your spirit. This is a deep, deep wounding and destructive. Jesus was very clear. Man is not to divide what God has put together. So then the Pharisees come back in verse 7. They say unto him, well, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? They called back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, first four verses. So, well, then why do we have this in the law? Deuteronomy 24 says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, 
and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. In fact, uh, verses three, uh, 2, 3, and 4 go on to say that if that woman goes and gets married and that guy divorces her, she's not allowed to go back to the first husband. So in the Old Testament, this was the setup that they had. And the Pharisees say, well, that's what Moses told us to do, and yet you're telling us God says we're not supposed to. That's a contradiction, right? Jesus explained in verse 8. In our passage in Matthew 19, verse 8, it says, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for the cause of fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Folks, verse 8 is very clear. The only reason Moses made that law is because of hard human hearts. And we're going to see exactly what that looks like a little bit later. God didn't create divorce. Man did. God has already been very, very clear throughout Scripture about his view of this man-made institution. It's breaking what he put together. And God doesn't like that. But it's a thing. And so Jesus said, my commandment to you, and I really hope that the Pharisees were picking up on the fact that Jesus said, here's what God intended, and here's what I'm telling you. With authority, putting himself on equal plane with God, making these commandments, I'm giving you that stipulation. If you're going to do this, which God doesn't like, and it's for any other cause than fornication, you better not get remarried because that is adultery in the eyes of God. So uh, your blanks under verse 9, a hard truth. God says that remarriage after divorce is adultery. According to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, it has been said by them of old time, um, and Jesus quotes the Old Testament passage about this, And then he says, verse 32, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Jesus was so explicitly clear on the matter. Now your blanks continue. Unless a person has been cheated on or the spouse has died, A divorce leaves that person permanently single. And that's your next blank. Now, Romans chapter 7 tells us that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. But the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So in the event of a death whether you be widower or widow, remarriage is totally good and fine in God's eyes. It's when there's a matter of divorce that did not have a basis in infidelity. Folks nowadays sure don't want to hear this verse, though. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11, it says, Let not the wife depart from her husband. Don't leave him. But, and if she depart... 
let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Folks, why is this so significant that God says, if you're going to do this, which by the way is against my will, you better remain single. Why? Folks, if there's no better plan B, then what do you have? A whole lot of incentive to work on plan A. It seems like everybody that says, you know what, I want out of this marriage because I can find somebody better. The grass is always greener on the other side mentality. If I can go find something better so that I'm happy again, I'm going to go pursue that and get rid of what I've got. But God says, no, there is no other side of the fence. It's either this and you work on it or there's loneliness the rest of your life. All of a sudden people are like, oh man. I don't know if, I mean, I don't want to be alone. I want to be happy. Okay. God wants you to be happy too. And he'll help you fix plan A. That's the way God works, folks. When he glues two people together, he says, you make it work. You don't go find somebody new. You make this work. And God will help you do it. But people don't want to hear that. They want an easy out where they can just imagine this glittery happiness right around the corner. And God says, no, that's not how this works. Now, that is a very unpopular view. But what we're seeing in Scripture, that's the scriptural view. So in verse 10 and 11 of our passage in Matthew, (laughs) this is one of those, you know, if I was there, I'd be slapping my forehead kind of things. Jesus has this interaction with the Pharisees and spits out exactly what Scripture says. And what did Jesus' disciples get out of this? Matthew 19, verse 10, his disciples say unto him, well, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry. Disciples, that's what you get out of this? Well, man, if marriage is that permanent, it's better just not to get married. Guys, really? That's what you got out of this lesson? You You think it's better to stay single? This is the context in which we see verse 11, and we've studied this uh, in previous lessons. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it's given. Talking about remaining single. There are some eunuchs which have been born so from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that's able to receive it, let him receive it. There are some people who are built to be single or can choose singleness to focus on God's kingdom, but most of us are not. So if the disciples are like, well, Lord, that marriage is way too permanent. It's better to be staying single. And Jesus said, yeah, most of you aren't made to stay single. So what lesson do you get out of that? Frame your thinking around God's design of permanence, of marital faithfulness, and make sure you choose your spouse wisely. So don't run away from commitment. Embrace it. Just embrace it God's way. You do this one time, Lord willing, you know, till death do us part, and Lord willing, it's not going to be that. But you look at it as a permanent thing. That makes you really evaluate who you want to marry. Can I go to the end of my days with this person? 
Is this person want to go to the end of their days with me? Something this serious takes a lot of serious thought. I've told you guys before, I love doing premarital counseling. It's, it's a lot more fun than doing postmarital counseling, for sure. Uh, premarital counseling, one of the first questions I'll ask a young couple, man, this is great, you guys got your planning, uh, planning going for your wedding and, and all this other stuff. Have you guys gone to a lawyer yet and gotten any prenuptial arrangements worked up? And I'm, I've been really thrilled with the couples that are like, what's a prenuptial arrangement? I'm like, okay, good. Uh, the ones that have understood that terminology, they're like, why would you have a prenuptial arrangement? It doesn't sound, kind of sounds like you're setting yourself up for failure. I said, that's exactly right. Because if you had said, yes, we've already written our prenups, then I wouldn't marry you. Because I want to know you both are going into this 100% committed if you're already setting your back door up, then don't ask me to do your wedding um, because I, I, I don't agree with that. God doesn't agree with things like this. But this is the mentality, folks. It's not till death do us part anymore. It's till unhappiness do us part. And let's be honest, there are unhappy days, right? The couple that tells you no, every day's been like our honeymoon since day one. Like, they lying, okay? There are days you do not get along. You're not thrilled with each other. I'm not saying you hate each other. You slam doors and yell. But there are days that it's, it's not as easy as it was the previous. That's just two sinners being linked up as one person. There's going to be friction in any relationship, but especially two that are so close. That's why we try to model those wedding vows for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, the good days and the bad days, till death do us part, because there are those days. And God is reminding us through this topic, it's not about you being happy. Although a, a good successful marriage will definitely make you happy, but it's not about your happiness. It's about commitment. It's about functionality. It's staying committed to that promise that you both made before God. You do that right, there will be happiness. But how many couples nowadays, they just go to a judge and say, we have unreconcilable differences, and the judge goes, oh, done. And in the eyes of the law, they are no longer one person. But they are still one in the eyes of God, which is the important of the two. Folks, this is the world we live in. And I understand that, as I said in the beginning, there are a lot of couples in our church that have had divorce in their lives in one shape or another. But let's be honest, we need to get grounded biblically so that we can pass on something better to the next generation. A strong stand on truth, even though it's really uncomfortable and there's a lot of examples of what not to do. Let's show them this is what God has designed and let's move forward, learn from other mistakes, and do things better. That's what we need to be passing on. But it takes difficult studies like this to do that. So let's look at some solutions besides divorce. And we're going to get into some interesting caveats here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, let's turn over there real quick, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is, well, let's just go through it. Uh, your next blank, I apologize for not getting that. Uh, verses 10 through 12, 
of Matthew 19, the blank is the disciples had an ignorant perspective, which Jesus thankfully corrected. But now getting to solutions. Some have said that there is a a step called separation, that all right, a couple is not getting along. Biblically, they can separate for a while. This is where they get that concept from. Uh, When it said in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, let not the wife depart from her husband, which seems pretty clear, don't depart, but and if she depart, if she does anyways, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled. So some have taken that verse and said, all right, so if you're not getting along, don't divorce, but you can separate. Um... I see where folks get that from, and from a counseling standpoint, from a a specific standpoint, there's a possibility of this, and let me give you some of those things. Separation can be used for the purpose of two things. Number one is personal safety. If there is physical abuse or serious verbal abuse, and I kind of put an asterisk next to serious verbal abuse, I really believe that if somebody is getting physically hurt, they need to get out of that home. I think it is foolish to say, no, no matter what, that woman should stay in that wife beater's house and just pray. I think you're an idiot. She needs to get out and get to safety. If there are kids involved, they need to get out and get to safety. There is no excuse in this world for a man to lay hands on his wife, or for that matter, for a woman to get violent with her husband. Hopefully, he's got enough to him that he can take that. But you got to go to sleep eventually. That could get dangerous. Let's just be real. But if there is a situation of physical abuse, yes, you need to get out and get safe. If you consider that, quote, separation, then okay, that, that makes sense to me. In the situation where there is serious verbal abuse, and I, I put that asterisk in there meaning serious, If you've got kids that their father is over top of them or even their mother is over top of them screaming and nasty and messing with their heads, that is damaging to a person. And I believe they ought to get out of that situation. Not divorce, but get to a place of safety. The caveat with that is some people will claim any level of something they didn't like as abuse. Okay, He was grumpy. And he's always grumpy, therefore he's emotionally abusing us. Okay, no. Yeah, she may be a shrew to be around. Well, there's your flag, right? Okay, am I name calling? (laughs) Sorry. Um, If she is difficult to be around, you know what? Man up. Grow a spine. You can deal with some of that. You need to be square in your thinking, look, this person is saying things that are not true. I'm not going to let it destroy me. So there are folks that will take verbal abuse or emotional abuse way too far. But if something is legitimate, scary, messing with a kid, something's physical, yes, get out and to get to safety. That, I think, is a good reason. And if you want to use that verse to back it up, okay. I just call it common sense, in all honesty. But there's a a second reason for this movement of separating, getting some space in between you. And that is for restoration. 
We do see that in the verse. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled. So getting to the point where you're trying to come back together. Sometimes that may take the both of you getting some space in between you and working on yourselves so that you can come back to the table. That, that may be a legitimate thing. Because frankly, guys need some time to sit and to think and realize how they've been a bonehead. Sometimes you need time away to realize, man, I want out, I want out, I want out, but now that I've got some space, am I really ready to give up? Because being alone, man, that stinks. So I could see some possible glimmers of hope for a situation where a husband and a wife will separate for a little while. But even with that, when we look at specific verses, it is risky, and that's your next blank. This is a risky plan that leaves each person vulnerable to temptation. Because we do see a chapter back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, uh, a very clear truth uh, having to do with marital physical situation. Defraud ye not one another, except it be for the consent for a time. So this is dealing with a sexual relationship. So don't hold back giving each other that ministry, but only do so for a specific amount of time. Why? That ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your inconsistency. There's a serious danger that if a husband and wife separate, that they are vulnerable to temptation to some other person stepping in and saying, oh, that's so terrible what your spouse does, and so forth, and giving them the glimmers of hope. Well, if I leave my spouse, this compassionate person would be a much better replacement, or so on and so forth. Guys, to be without your wife for a long period of time is difficult, is it not? That opens you up for temptation. And so... There are possibilities where this could be a benefit, this whole idea of separation. But man, it's a risky endeavor. And it comes with a, a lot of different caveats that really it, you do all that you can to work things out without having to go to that length. But here's the solution that we really need to focus on. And it's the word nobody wants to hear. <laughs> and that's the word forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, and I find it very interesting that the chapter on divorce comes right after this passage. In Matthew 18, one of the disciples comes to our Lord and says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody that wrongs me? And we know what it says in, uh, in verse 22, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven unlimited number of forgiveness folks that gets hard that gets really hard and typically as i said before in our, our last message on on marriage it's usually when people stop forgiving it's when the bitterness creeps in and begins to divide and wedge between a man and his wife forgiveness is the solution for marital conflict man is that hard but I think that's why God 
gives us a model of forgiveness of this incredible, unlimited kind of forgiveness. We see it in Ephesians 4.32. This is the basis by which we act. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Well, how? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, we forgive our spouses the same way God has forgiven us. Folks, how much did God forgive you in order to save your soul? Everything. That is the model for marriage. And this can only be done with the grace of God working through you. But this is what fixes problems. Unlimited forgiveness. It's an amazing thing when it's being given to you. Man, is it hard to give it, though. If you want a reminder of the power of forgiveness, read the book of Hosea. Man, is that mind-blowing. God literally sets up this prophet's life as an illustration of his forgiveness and love for his people. Hosea, go marry a hooker. Uh, Excuse me? You you want me to do what? (laughs) Yeah, go marry a hooker. Hosea goes out there, marries Gomer. They have a couple of kids. She runs off on him. And he goes and hunts her down, buys her back when she is so used, nobody wants her. And God says, this is my love for my people, my terribly unfaithful, immoral, idolatrous people. I'll still buy you back because I love you. Folks, that is mind-blowing. That is what God does for us. That is the model of what we do for our spouse. So when people come to the, this D-word divorce, we need to use the F word, which is forgiveness. People don't want to do that, but that's what God does for us. So are there some caveats in this topic? Yeah, there's actually a million, just because everybody seems like they, they've got a reason or a question or a feeling about the topic. You know, it, it is, I think, pertinent to say that things done before you were saved, praise God that's under the blood. Okay, but please move on from here. Let God work with the relational position that you are in. So people say, oh, well, you know, I've got divorce in my past. What do I do to fix this? You move forward. Okay, you try to do something weird to fix the first marriage, and it's just going to get worse. Let God work in the situation you're in now. Move forward to the grace of God. Uh, He is able to do absolutely amazing things to transform the situation you're in now. Our God is a God of hope. If we're willing to walk the path that he's put in front of us, that's not going to be easy, but God can make it happen. He is a God of hope. Has God been able to take two broken people that come from backgrounds of divorce and put them together into a, a godly, wonderful home? Yeah. He's done that. Well, Pastor Collie, can you give me a verse to, to prove how God's able to do that? I can only give you one word. That's grace. I'm not in control of God's grace. He's in control of it. Have I seen it? Yeah. A couple I know of, she was a born-again Christian but went through divorce because of infidelity. He was not a Christian. 
but later became a Christian after his divorce, God put the two of them together and they've made a beautiful, God-centered, flourishing, blessed home. Can I explain how God's able to take the, the wreck of our lives and still make something beautiful out of it? No, I can't. I can't explain that. I just know this is the amazing God that I serve. But I also know I'm not in control of that grace. So I just better stick to what God tells me and not try to like, well, if I go and do this, God will just show me grace later. Yeah, that's a dangerous way to live. Can God do the amazing? Yes, and he does it. But let's God be in control of that, and let's follow what God's telling us to do. So let's finish up with a surprising illustration. Jeremiah 3.8. Now, if you've done your Bible study, you may know about this verse. Jeremiah 3 verse 8 says, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. What? God divorced Israel? That's what the verse says. But you've got to understand, again, the context of the book, the context of this passage. This is an illustration, and God even goes to the degree of using this in his illustration. So going through the passage, studying the key points of it all, chapter 2, verse 2, God pictured his union with Israel as a marriage, as he does many, many, many times. And then in the next verse, excuse me, in, uh, let me get to my next page. Chapter 2, verse 20, Israel's idolatry was pictured as infidelity. Purposeful and very accurate. If you're married to God, you don't go skipping out on him for idols. And that's exactly what they did. So in chapter 3, verse 8, God exiled the children of Israel into another country, defeated in battle, and pulled out of their own country. That was pictured as a divorce, a separating of the two. So it's a very stark illustration to be sure, but as you continue to read the passage, you see in verses 13 and 14, God voices his desire and plan for restoration. So it's not like God divorced Israel and they were done. God says, no, I separated from you so that you could be punished, but I love you fiercely. I've got a plan to bring you back. You need to change your ways. You need to repent and recognize what you've done. But God never says that he gives up on his people, ever. He just gave this as an illustration. So just in case you come across a Christian that's maybe done a Google search and come across that verse, don't even be scared of that. It is an illustration and a very clear concept that God is communicating. God still viewed himself as married to Israel and remained unwavering in his faithfulness and determined in the pursuit of his bride. So I'm going to give you the last 10 minutes, and I would challenge you guys to work through these three questions. Uh, It shouldn't take you too long. Um, When we pray out in, like I said, 10 minutes, I would like to go over very, very quickly the last question. Hopefully you get there, 